Hello. It's Tuesday, the 15th of August in the year of our Lord 2023. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Liberty Tactics. I'm delighted that our Roy, the Welsh wizard, is back with more geopolitical geopolitical analysis. And I do believe tonight it's a bit of a history lesson. You went over a, a bit of what we're going to talk about earlier with me today. And it was absolutely fascinating. I thought I knew a bit of history, but I was completely wrong on what we were talking about. And this is a really fascinating conversation. And we're looking at towards South Africa. Is that right? Well, uh, to explain the issues, we're looking at uh, what's happening in the Sahel countries. That's the six or seven countries in, in the middle of Africa, um, you know, which Burkina Faso, Mali, Chad, Niger, Nigeria, uh, these countries. And I'm going to use, try and use what's happening to explain what is taking place and really why it's, uh, these are world-changing events. This is a period of world change. So the events that are taking place <laughs> are not instantly recognised. Yeah, I'd like to touch on Hawaii as well, if that's all right. Hawaii is fine. If you could do that right at the end. Yeah, we'll do that right at the end once we've got the... So, you know, we'll just have a little touch on what the hell is going on there, which I think is quite clear we know. Yeah. So, go on, take it away, Roy. Okay, Lou. Well, as I said, the issues that we're going to discuss today, although they're of a historical nature, they're primary to what's going to take place uh, which uh, in the next uh, next few years, which will see the, the greatest industrial manufacturing revolution and social revolutions that the world has ever seen. And it does centre around uh, the countries, I'm going to use them as examples I just mentioned, the Sahel region. Now, formally, the, you know, they don't... Uh, it, it's a, the terminology that was used is uh, not acceptable uh, today by uh, many of the woke individuals and the, and the woke historians because they don't want to talk about it. But in, in real terms, what we're talking about is colonialization and how colonialization took place and why it took place. I would say up to the midway period of the 17th century, uh, there was... In the uh, in the East, in Asia, in the Middle East, in Africa itself, uh, to a great degree, there was a certain harmony. The issues of poverty, squalor, and want didn't exist. Uh, China and India, uh, with the assistance of Russia, they were the key trading centers, the key, key, uh, the key cultural centers. We talk about the Silk Road, which is the new uh, the, the, the BRA, the Belt Road Initiative. That Silk Road literally fed into the continents I've just mentioned, and it was the advent. It was the advent. Well, in you could say the Spanish first, the conquistadores, the Portuguese. They go over, and they start to colonialize South America. But it in the heartlands, Mackinder's heartland, which is. Uh, the basin of Asia, uh, with uh, the inner rim, the outer rim, is uh, the oil-producing countries, and then there is Africa. And Mackinder, Lord Mackinder, said, "He who controls the heartlands controls the world." Well, the intervention by the East India Company signalled the demise 
of a period of history where can't say uh, where relative harmony, but acquiescence between nation states, where the doing down of a neighbour and using your power as a country or, or a force didn't really exist, where sovereign nations were sovereign nations ended. I think I've touched on it before. The East India Company had a person had an army of two hundred and forty thousand, yeah, and what yeah. took uh, what what took place there in India was the subjugation in the first instance of India was the uh, the downing of any opposition. And it'd be wrong to think that the Indians didn't say, because of what I've just stated, the relationship between nation states, between uh, states themselves, you had separate rulers, you know, uh, different titles, not just in India, but in China, Russia, uh, down further in, in, into what's formerly known as the stands day, but it wasn't the stands then. So anyway, there were myriad types of different nations, but what the British did was they cleaned them all out. They didn't care, give a damn. They wanted to control the, uh, the continent of India with all its wealth, its spices, its teas, with all the commodities which they saw, the East India Company saw they could make a killing of and in, and in the process developed the British Empire. They did a, I, don't, I mentioned, uh, it didn't take them long to uh, initiate the Opium Wars, but the first stage was always the military inter intervention and then it was military rule. And after uh, you had crushed the, uh, the national population, after you had you know, terrified them into submission, murdered them, you know, been seen to act in a horrendous way. Um, you had then the troops were put back in the forts, the companies came in, they then destroyed the living standards of the peoples who lived in those countries, and more and more, they couldn't do it straight away, but more and more, they were they, 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 they were put into a, like a back into serfdom, into slavery. They were paid but with terrible conditions. And the, you know, that, that lasted for 150, 200 years. Now, in the, in the 19, after the Second World War, it, uh, Britain was a fading, well, it wasn't an empire anymore. America had come to the fore. So Britain uh, had to give independence, of course, to India. They, they, they made sure that they, it was a divide and rule tactic by Pakistan creating Pakistan. Nevertheless, it was divide and uh, rule. They still still had a base there, and they still had a lot of control. In came the Commonwealth. They were invited to join that, so they still had control. And it was only in the last, uh, I would say, 10 years, maybe eight years, the last day, there was... I'll come to a side, but it's a defining moment. In the interregnum of, say, from 1970 to 2010, you had uh, real heroic attempts to, uh, to try and break the grip of, uh, of, of the cabal, of the Western, Western cabal-controlled countries, you know, the owners of those countries. They tried... There were, there were big movements in Africa, South, Central, Latin America to try and break the hold. And you, the first real attempt was, 
was uh, by a guy called Patrice Lumumba. You know, he's a, yeah, history doesn't yet know the full story of Patrice Lumumba, but when they do, they'll read into uh, an enormously courageous human being. I've never heard that name before in my life. He was the president of Congo only for about five months, and then the CIA organized his execution. Nevertheless, the mere fact that he's remembered, uh, particularly by the African masses, by the way, his, his story will be told. And he was followed. Uh, there, there, there have been many people like Lumumba. You know, there was uh, Tick Nigeria in the, in the 90s, Ken Sarawiwa. Ken Sarawiwa, Sarawiwa was, a, was a member of the Ogoni tribe. He was a f famous author. You know, he was a, a man of culture. And he couldn't abide by what Shell had done to his people, his lands, and to the Nigerian people. And he campaigned that they should, they should give money to Nigeria, that it's Nigeria's oil. That they should have money, they should be able to look after their people, they should be able to take them out of poverty, they should have be able to have hospitals and schools. Well, they executed him as well. And uh you know, into the into the into the noughties. I'm missing a lot of people out by the way, but into the noughties. I'm dealing with the, some of the key characters in my mind's eye really. You had then uh Muammar Gaddafi. And he he ranks Amongst the pantheon of, uh, of of great patriots, who, uh, who weren't prepared to see, uh, especially with all the wealth in their countries, in the commodities, in the minerals, in the waters, everything, they weren't prepared to allow the West to keep uh, keeping them down in in barbarism, destroying their their peoples. And uh, Gaddafi made more of a Gaddafi terrified them because although he was military, he wasn't corrupt military. If you like, to a degree, Saddam Hussein, when he put oil, the euro for sale for oil, meant a big benefit for his people, but he was known as, if you like, although still revered, especially in the wake of what's happened, he wasn't, he didn't have the honesty and the approach of Gaddafi, who wanted to use the wealth of uh, Libya for all of Africa, by the way. Yeah, the, yeah. I could, he was a good man. He was. He did, and he didn't. He build this um, like reservoir in the middle of the desert that would have sorted out all of the water problems for that part of the the region for like generations. And they bloody bombed it, didn't they? Yeah, it was a. It was like a, in part an underwater river, which ran down the spine of Africa. Um, he was he was a good man. Anyway, he was removed, and all of these people were executed. But then he came to Assad in Syria. Now I know that it's uh, it's the Middle East over the way. Nevertheless, Assad is different to all the previous people I mentioned, and he's different in that with the assistance of Putin, he refused, and the Syrian people refused to be uh, defeated by the might of America, by ISIS, which was an organization set up by Obama and funded and backed by Israel. There became a national consciousness of the Syrian people. 
And when I say natural consciousness, it's really important. It's when the masses in those countries, they understand the terror that they've been through and they understand that they're at that moment in history where they will either fight, come what may, or they will capitulate. Now, many times before, nations that I've just mentioned and many more have decided to fight and have been drowned in their own blood. But what was different about Assad in 2016 was that Vladimir Putin said, no, no, we will assist you. Now, Russia, the old Russia, always had a historic role in, uh, in helping third world countries in trying to defeat the colonial revolution that took place on behalf of the West. Putin was not a member of the Communist Party. They had gone. But he was and is a leader who respected the sovereign rights, had agreements with Syria over trade agreements, and he also had some military agreements. And he decided that, come what may, he, was, he intervened. And if the need be, he himself would take ISIS out. Well, luckily for, not luckily, it's all, I think, I believe it's all planned actually. Donald Trump is elected, and he too, to a degree, agrees that we should take ISIS out. Unfortunately, the legacy was that American troops stayed there and that they now utilize and pilfer the oil, 110 billion in the last uh, 10 billion dollars in the last 10 years. They stop the food production in the East, which is really the basin for all their basic foods. And they sell those foods, not to the Syrian people, but they, they give them to the Israelis and they sell them to Europe. And that's, that's just in, in Syria. If you ever look at Iraq, really, the American state should be done for war crimes because there were no weapons of mass destruction. The anthrax that they talked about, or the biochemists they talked about, well, they were found to be from uh, a military, a military bio lab in, uh, I think it's in Dallas, in, in Texas, I think, or Florida, one of those. It's found to come from there. It was, it was a war based on lies, which saw the slaughter. You know, Madeleine Albright's famous remark: she was asked, you know, half a million people, children have died. Well, well, it's worth it, she said. And you could see the barbarity in the outlook, the cold, calculating outlook of the uh, of the cabal reflected in Albright's both remarks and her attitude. And even today, you know, it's it's absolutely disgusting what's taking place in Iraq. I've touched on it before. You know, prior to that war, there were two point five eight dollars to every dinar. And now there are some thirteen thousand dinar to a dollar, wow. and the and the Americans have sat by through their military, watched famines, the destruction of whole uh, cities, of whole peoples, whilst maintaining an iron grip on the oil fields and stealing the gold of the Iraqi people. Well, that's changed now. But what is one thing is in one thing that Syria, the countries of the Sahel, 
all the African nations, really, irrespective of their leaders. They all have one thing in common, in that they want the American troops out. They want the French troops out. They want the British troops out. They want this enormous canker, this evil that's been on their back for hundreds of years, which has destroyed the fabric of their world. They want to get rid. And now they're in the process of doing it. Now, there are a number of reasons why now is the most opportune moment. Yeah, it's got to do with bricks. It's got to do with a number of factors. Fundamentally, 2016 was a big event with Assad, but the war in Ukraine opened everything up because they're taking away of Russia's foreign reserves, its gold, was the fully, full weaponization of the dollar. They did that, and Putin, at last year's Valdai conference, said to 85, 85 countries, 14,000 delegates, he said to them, you've got to get rid of the dollar. You've got to get rid of the euro. Because if they've taken it off us, off Iran, they've used it to batter and defeat countries, they're going to do it to you. And you've got to do it. And effectively, he made a plea to them, we've got to unite. All of us. All of us nations have got to unite. And we've got to defeat this globalist you know, attack on humanity. And that was the beginning. Now, the reason why it's most opportune is that I've mentioned financialization and I've mentioned that the Western cabal-controlled countries, they deindustrialized on the basis that uh, they'd send the factories over to the countries that I'm talking about in the East. They'd still have the minerals and resources from Africa and South and Central Latin America. And uh, they could make more money in volume on assets, on, on uh, derivatives, on, on, on the plane of the casino economy. So during the last 20, 30 years, they've done that. They've become net importers of goods, net importers of services, net importers of commodities. The things that they formerly used to make themselves powerful and you know hegemons, they forgot about. But now it's a different ball game. Now the financial assets are beginning to teeter. There's a derivative nuclear bomb with 2.2 quadrillion dollars. That can explode at any moment in time. The bond market, which underpins the banking and financial system in the WCCC, it is beginning to go now. Inflation is on the order of the day. You see the commercial devastations taking place in America. The, the, the rising cost of prices of food. So that's what's happening. But let's have a look. What's happening in the countries that I formerly mentioned? Well, 
I'd now like to go to, you see, the, before I say this, the third world have always been the net exporters of goods, metals, minerals, commodities, oil. It's been, they've been forced to do it militarily, economically, uh, in any which way that was required. So they've always been the mass exporters. Now, the Sahil countries, I mentioned Burkina Faso, Mali, Niger, Chad, Nigeria, Senegal. Take Niger, which is, uh, you just had the coup in which the Niger, pre uh, the, the, the president of Niger is uh, under house arrest and a very young um, military leader uh, has, uh, has taken over, the military has taken over. Now in Niger, if you if you go into Google any of these engines, put down Niger commodities. Well, what happens is it puts in Nigeria commodities. When you ask Niger uh, what is the inflation, you get Nigeria's inflation. When you try to get information on any of these countries, it's not forthcoming. So really, I had to dig a bit to find out. What, why this Sahel region is so important. And this is from the United Kingdom government natural resources management strategy in the Sahel 2018. This is a paper put forward by Rachel Cooper. And this is just one part of it, I quote. This region is one of the richest in the world in terms of natural resources, including oil, gold, and uranium. Also, one of, if not the poorest and most environmentally degraded regions in the world. For example, Niger, despite its abundant extractive resources, is ranked 187 out of 188 on the Human Development Index. Now, the Human Development Index is the poverty index. So, here you have the British government endorsing the findings of Rachel Cooper in which she highlights that it is indeed one of the richest regions in the whole of the world for these resources that I mentioned. Yet Niger is one country away from being the poorest in the world. And I'll go even further. Due to the colonial division of Africa, of France, of Britain, and not so much the states, but they'd have a say in some in events. Mitterrand, the former president of France, remarked, or he made remarks, which said that if we didn't have control of, of Africa, France would not last a day. So you can see why the armies of intervention of ECOWAS of Macron, the reason why uh, Victoria Newland went over, because they recognized that this is a net exporter of all the commodities that the world needs. But that thing I talked about, the national consciousness, we'll apply it now to the people of the Sahel, or the Sahel countries and the region and Niger. These peoples are now conscious 
of their own destiny. They understand that they provide the world with key commodities. They understand that they're in one of the richest regions in the world. Yet so poor are these, are these countries that they don't even have their own currency. Their currency is the ECF. The ECF is a, a spin-off of the French reserves, Euro reserves, organized and controlled from Paris. So these countries, if they don't have their own currency, they don't even have their own economy. So this is where these countries are at. It's the reason why Burkina Faso, Chad, Mario said, we stand with Niger. With Niger. Now the president of Nigeria said, well, we don't. I'll be assisting uh, our French friends and benefactors. Of course, he had a great shock, the French president, had the Algerian, the Nigerian president. He went to his Senate and the Senate voted absolutely overwhelmingly not to support Macron and not to support the US. And in doing so, shut the Nigerian president up because he probably became aware then that he could also be a casualty in the next period. Now, I said, so the, you, have, you have these exporting countries getting nothing. But yet, I tell you this, though, it is possible that intervention takes place. It is possible. And it is possible that they could drown the peoples of these countries in their own blood. But they will not succeed. When they go in, they will cause a hurricane, which will sweep away all the bases of America, all the former power of France and Britain, and will restore nationhood and sovereignty to Africa. That will be if it decides to go down that road. If it's sensible, Mitterrand doesn't look like he's got control of France. And do not think for one moment that the French masses Macron. will support... Macron, yeah. Sorry, Macron. Do not Macron. think for one moment that the French masses will support Macron. These are the people, these are the people who are steeped in the idea of legality, legality and, uh, and fraternity, liberté. They don't know the story that's been relayed today, but they will get to know about it, and they will be ashamed, and they will be infuriated that peoples have been treated like that. But it is a question of life or death for Macron, because in Niger, you have uranium. France is totally dependent for its electricity more and more on uranium. Well, the young leadership, military leadership in Niger and its peoples have stopped all the export, exporting of gold, uranium, and other commodities to France and to the WCC countries. That goes for the other, other countries as well. The same, I've mentioned Latin America 
Central America and South America. In the 1980s, that whole continent was known as the continent of the concentration camp. This is where the CIA engineered coup after coup after coup, put their puppets into power to ensure that they could get the oil, get the minerals, get the gold, get whatever they needed. But that has changed there also. So much so, there's a de-dollarization taking place. The leading countries in Southern Latin America are at the forefront of it. They too are enormously rich in the basic commodities required to, uh, to, to keep the world going. So how does Russia and China come into play? Ah, I mentioned the history. Well, even that is deep in the culture, is remembered for all that they try to deny what once was. It is understood. It's passed down. It is strong. And in China in particular, if you have a look at the Belt and Road Initiative in Africa, in the infrastructure, all over Africa, roads, railways, bridges, airports, linking vital mining and industrial hubs in all the countries that litter across Africa, that link them up. The, the introduction of free you know, uh, internet. If you take Zimbabwe, look at Zimbabwe, a very poor country, enormously rich in gold. The West mined gold. They gave the puppet leaders houses, the bureaucrats, a good lifestyle. But it wasn't until China, some 10 years ago, signed a deal with Zimbabwe to build new gold mines. Not only did they sign the deal to build new gold mines, but they said, we'll, we'll build the railroads required for it. Off those railroads, we'll build passenger and transport links to Harare, to, get to the countries, to the, to, to, the, to the areas of your country, which don't have it. And they did all that. And then they said, whatever we mine and refine in your country with your workers, we will take 80% and we will give you 20%. We'll deposit it in your bank. The Zimbabweans couldn't believe it. They've been used to getting nothing. They couldn't believe it. And China has done similar across all of Africa with Russia and across South and Latin and Central America. The Chinese are seen as friends. They've built, like I said, hundreds of thousands of miles of railway track. In the United States, the United States has not built five kilometers of rail track in Africa. Which gives an illustration to why they're looking to China. Now, there are some interesting articles of late that have been in The Economist. You can get them if you just hit into the uh, search engine and hit in Niger, Sahil, you'll get them 
Yeah, it's been in the last week or two. And one of their correspondents covers Africa, went to Niger. And uh, in Niger, he was discussing with far a farmer and his peasants, you know, the peasants who were helping him. So he said to the farmer, it's an interesting discussion. It's good to read. He says, you know, well, you know, what do you think? You got it looks like Macron, Foreign Legion, the Americans, they've got two thousand troops in your country already. In your capital, they can call on all that they need. It could get very bad. And the aging farmer said he cared not for that. He didn't want it. But if it happened, he would stand four square with his military. And the peasants around him, he didn't, he didn't cajole them. But the economist asked them, reporter, and you? Yes, everyone, yes. And the economist began to cotton on that it's not the same as it was. And the economist did. It carried through as best it could across thousands of uh, Niger people, a poll over a couple of days. And there were two questions on that poll. Would you support your military if it, if it has to fight to protect its country? And 75% and more said, yeah, they would fight to the death with their military. And then the other question was, name one country, only one country. So you only get to name one country. You consider a friend. Well, nearly 70%. Named Russia, or they named Putin as the person of the country they considered a friend. And there, you see, therein lies the great movement that's taking place in the colonial world at this moment in time. These great exporters who've had hundreds of years of misery, untold miseries heaped upon them and their peoples, and now having an opportunity to extract their own commodities, their goods, their mineral resources, and to deal with a partner who deals fairly, who keeps their promises, who doesn't want to control them militarily, who allows them to make their own decisions in their own country, doesn't interfere, and to them, it's retelling that knot of history of hundreds of years ago, where they harken back to what it was like then. Now that opportunity presents itself. And in so doing, it finishes off, finally and fundamentally, the Western-controlled cabal countries. And it all leads up to the summit agreement that's taking place in eight days' time in South Africa. Well, at the moment, it's reported that 74 countries will be attending. The Sherpa, the South African Sherpa, they are the ones who do, I feel like the diplomats who do all the work to make sure everything's going, said that he believes that 48 of the 54 countries in Africa will attend. 
will have full delegations, official delegations. Couple the countries in South and Central America that are already in there. Not mentioning what the BRICS has, has support from with the Shanghai Corporation, with the EAAU. And then you begin to see this enormous human resource, uh, this enormous market being put into motion, being organized on an equitable basis where every nation is sovereign, where they have the right to their own determination. It must be a vista that these countries in South Africa, in Africa, in the continent of Latin America, South America, it must be something they couldn't have believed of 30 years ago. And yet here it is within their grasp. And there is no force on this planet that's going to be able to stop them. There will be attempts, but they'll all fail. The die is cast. What does that mean? Because many people say, Roy, when you talk, you really, it's frightening. You know, it doesn't say, it doesn't offer much for us. Well, all I can say to that is I try to make it as honest as I can. And you're not listening. Because I've said many times, the Western cabal-controlled countries, their currencies, their fiat currencies are going to collapse. And with that collapse will come the fall of the cabal. In its wake, we will have Donald Trump. He's the integral figure for the WCC countries. I believe that this is all planned. It's all been a part of a great plan. And you see, when I when these analysts, these economists, the good people, you know, I won't give names, but the honest punters say, we got the heartlands. That's it, we control the world. It's a bit of a misnomer, really. What they're missing is that Mackinder, Lord Mackinder, was of the British Empire, as I mentioned. He wasn't going to up the ante and tell the truth of the fabulous minerals, of the fabulous oil reserves and facilities that were in South, Central, Latin America, North America, Canada, Alaska, and the Arctic Circle. Now, he wasn't going to do that. Why would he build up the raising hegemon power? But as I've put forward in a number of papers that I've written, if you look at commodities per person, per population, per head of population, actually, North America and South America, I've just mentioned, is more richer than the Eurasian heartland. So what am I, what am I saying? Look, fiat currency has got a form. The BRICS will ensure that the, all their countries don't feel the fallout. They'll be saved from it by the fact they'll settle, there'll be a trade settlement currency in gold. And I believe that the ruble first will go on the gold standard, not as a reserve currency, but it will back its currency with gold. Possibly then we'll see China. And that will mean 
that they will secure their nations and the nations support the BRICS company, BRICS, uh, the BRICS plus countries. What does it mean in America, I've just mentioned, and South Central Latin America? Well, it's you have a situation where all the minerals, resources, oils, commodities, they're in, the, in that area of the world. What do you need then? is to marry up technology and industry to the resources in the individual countries and raise the nation states, as it will be done in BRICS. Raise them right across that continent. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's what Donald Trump will do. Donald Trump, the military will come to power. Donald Trump will become the commander-in-chief. We will probably have a conflict with Taiwan and China. That will be that will be resolved. I believe the world will see the three great leaders of the world and Xi, Putin and Trump. I think harmony will come over the world. The three trading blocks I've mentioned have a lot of work to do just to develop their own trading blocks, to lift the to lift the living standards and the technologies to put to work in their own particular trading blocks. It won't stop cross-trade, but there's not a difficulty anymore. Once money and the issuance of money and the control of money is under public ownership, which it will be, then the cabal is defeated. Does that mean you'll have a socialist world? No. You'll have a world where for, you know, it'll reach either not again. Small, medium and uh, small, medium, and large businesses will be facilitated with cheap loans. Technology will be utilized and absorbed. The working day will be lessened. There'll be more cut time for family and culture. The tremendous developments in these technology and industries will boost the living standards of the peoples of the planet. And the mass of humanity as the wealth increases, also will be lifted. And that will be the difference. Instead of the 1% or the half of 1% dominating the whole of humanity, you will have an equitable distribution, um, uh, yeah, agglomeration of, uh, of the basic necessities and requirements of life itself. So the colonial world is, is really, really important. This issue of the colonial question is being resolved right now for the first time in 350 years, 400 years. We're going to once again, we're going to see the paradigm that was once in India, China, and Russia. Now it's going to encompass the whole of the world. For us, we're not going to suffer greatly. If our, our currencies are going to collapse, there'll be a short period of time weeks, not months, in which a new, a new mode of, of currency will have to be put into place. But that would be superseded very quickly by, like I said, the most magnificent development of productive forces and the introduction of previously held hidden technology, which will uh, do away with many of the onerous uh, take health. I think that it's entirely probable 
that med beds will come of age very, very quickly. I just think that these things are on the horizon. Donald Trump, in his inaugural speech, mentioned there were many technologies that hadn't been allowed, that hadn't come out, and that he would release them. Well, he obviously wasn't going to release them in 2016. He knew what was coming in 2020 with Biden. But now we're coming to the end of the WCC and its leaderships. You can tell that by the way that the tempo of events is developing now. Everything is speeding up. Look, I'll end it with this. Do not be fearful. Fear is their weapon. It's what they've utilized against us over generations. Don't be fearful. Don't see everything with trepidation. If you want encouragement, look at these marvelous African masters are doing now. After having after having put up with all that they've put up with. They're still there to fight. They're still fighting for what they believe to secure their future. We don't have to do that. All we have to do is take a leap of faith. Hold on. Everything will be fine. That's it, Lou. Lou? Yeah, sorry, I had an issue with the Daxons there. Um, that was brilliant, Roy. I mean, it's just, I've learned so much tonight. I really have. And do you know what's really interesting to talk about South Africa? Julie Green, uh, who's a prophet, she's been on my show. She's given many, many prophecies about everything turning around for South Africa. Everything. And that's been going on for the last good 18 months. She's been coming out with the prophecies with regards to South Africa. And... Uh, yeah, interesting. Now, what are your thoughts, I want to know, on Haiti? I mean, I've seen some unbelievable videos, um, witness testimonies of what they witnessed. Um, we've also got Oprah Winfrey very much involved that she wants to own basically that part of the region. But it's very, very um, sacred to, to <laughs> the indigenous tribes, isn't it, that area? So what are your thoughts? Tell us just briefly, Haiti. Well, if that's a hurricane that's done this, then this is the oddest hurricane that's ever been witnessed in Jupiter. Yeah, no rain and lasers coming from the sky. Look, when you see trees burning from the inside, when you see huts and houses eviscerated, yet the grass around them is still there, you must question, what did this? Now, we can say direct energy weapons and we could be looked upon and laughed at. But I believe it's something like that. And if people disagree, I would like them to explain how these trees did burn from the inside out. How that creeping fire rolling across the road, if you stepped in it, it would incarcerate you. These, these are not phenomena. These, are, I believe are heinous weapons used by the cabal. Why did they do it? Well, it's essentially a land grab. You know, we've learned now that Oprah Winfrey is offering 30 cents on the dollar for land out there. 
But let's not her forget. House what is okay, though, isn't it? Her house is okay, and all of the rich, you know, the, yes, but direct all I their think... houses are okay, and everything else around it is just disintegrated. Yes, but I think that Haiti. You remember what's Haiti linked with? Child trafficking. Yeah. What did Clinton? What did Clinton try to do? She tried to get her mate to get the kids out, and their mate got caught, and the kids got away. But I still think it's a child trafficking hub. Right. Listen to this. Today's so back, back way back on August the fifteenth of twenty eighteen. My eyes are so bad. Post 1,880. The first word is Haiti. Child trafficking victims who've spent their formative years servicing the canal, the carnal desires of men, often foreigners, who are there four or five or six times their age. Their madam tells me that many of their customers are Western humanitarian workers who've come here to help rebuild Haiti after the recent run of natural disasters, the more you know. So it's interesting, yeah. on this day in yeah. 2018, this was posted. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a delta. Look, I think that, I think that those organisations have been cleaned out, but I think there are organisations of the elite that are probably still there. And uh, I wouldn't mind betting the good guys go in there. Uh, as for people like uh, Winfrey and uh, you know the Microsoft guy, there's enough evidence now yeah. for uh, to uh, to do for them, and it will be utilised. I think that uh, it's people. Is it, we talk about the mass must awaken, but even even people who don't understand direct energy weapons are, you know, are still dubious about conspiracies. They will ask the question, well, well how is that a hurricane? Why are the trees burning from the inside? Why is the grass all around that house if it would devastate? Why is there a complete fire? circle in one area? I saw one picture of just a complete circle of fire inside the siren. Inside, it was just a circle. Yeah. Ring you know, of fire. They, they have... Yeah, they have control of it. What's the point? Not doing. just the beam, but it, but it, but events that takes that take place after it. So it's a disgusting, uh, venal act. It's shocking. Uh, the slaughter it's of the, it's the slaughter. It's the slaughter of the innocents. Yeah, totally. Uh, but Lou, yeah, these are the last desperate gasps now. Yeah. Of uh, of of this monstrous clique that's ruled us for millennia. That doesn't excuse what they're doing. And there are no words that I can give to the people no. who have been uh, victimised other than, you know, I give them my love. Yeah. And God bless them. This. Pray for them. Yeah. yeah. But there'll be more we'll have to endure mm. in the next period because like a rabid dog trapped, their acts will become more off the scale. Nevertheless, we're going. We're getting stronger by the hour now, not by the day. It really is all over, Lou. Yeah. We should look with good heart now. Absolutely. I mean, what? we did. We we stuck firm on this, Roy. We've never wavered. We knew it was going to happen. 
we knew it was going to happen. You know, dates might be out, but, you know, if more and more things are coming dearer that it was on a five year, not a four year, you know, kind of a timeline. And it was probably actually longer than that because before they came online, they'd probably, you know, it probably all started. But regardless. Well, I, 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 I killed a, a cute quote, a cute drop. And uh, he said there are only two year and six year deltas. That's interesting. Have a look. You try and find that drop. You, I'll leave it to, to yeah, okay. the listeners. Find the drop, find the date, and then work it out. And you'll see that 2024, end game. Yeah, exactly. End game. Anyway, Luke, I now have to depart. Right. Well, thank you so much. Hopefully we can catch up next week, Roy. We'll see how busy I know you're just under so much pressure. You're literally doing the job of about seven people at the moment. So thank you for sparing this hour with us and um you're still posting up on your telegram roy boy 17 i am yes but uh, yeah i'm not I'm, i haven't done any writing as such although i've got a paper going to come up precisely on this issue of the colonial question oh, where i uh i'm just going to explain what i've just spoken about now and how it that the, the knot has been retired in history and you're seeing the freeing now of the peoples of Africa, Latin America, South and Central America. And yeah. uh, well, that should, that should be brilliant. celebrated. Thank you so much, Roy. So that was it for today. Livesypractice.co.uk, Boy 17 Obviously, Catherine's blogs, it, Catherine's blogs, Catherine's blog, exposingthelie.info, publicchildprotectionwells.org. Uh, please go to publicchildprotectionwells.org because we're all going to be outside Parliament. Um, on the first day of Prime Minister's questions, which I think is September the 13th, but I will confirm, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, but you can go to publicchildprotectionwales.org and I think I put it up on all the Facebook pages. So that's it. We will be back in the next day or so. That's it from us. God bless. Bye-bye.